Welcome back to QAV. This is episode 604. We're recording Tuesday, the 24th of January. How are you doing, TK? Yeah, very well. Thanks, Cam. Just got back from Tasmania. Oh, how was Tasmania? Yeah, really good. Been playing golf at Bang Boogle. Bang Boogle. Dinner in Launceston. Yeah, really good. Great place. We had good weather, so not much wind. It was lovely. Yeah, that's lovely. And Alex tells me she and Sean are going down soon too. You told me that actually. Oh, okay. No, they're going down, I think, the 12th of Feb, some, sometime around then. Oh, I'm so jealous. i got to get down there one of these days. It's a great place. Yeah. Got to do a QAV dinner. Yeah. That's a good idea. Some of our Tasmanian listeners make, organize it, so all we need to do is turn up. Didn't we sit next to someone who operated a resort in Tasmania? At the whiskey thing last year. Yeah, yeah. They they invited me to go down and be their uh, artist in residence for a while down there. Yeah. It's Writer in residence. In residence. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, <laughs> let me see. Let's get straight into it because it's hot as hell in my office today. Portfolio updates, where I like to start. Um, I had a look at our portfolio this morning for the club newsletter. Um, since inception, the dummy portfolio as of this morning was up 19.6% per annum. That's gone up in the last couple of weeks, hasn't it? That's good. It has. Yeah, it shot up a, a good point, I think, in the last uh, week. Hold on. Let me see if that's right. Yeah, no, sorry. That was last week's number. It's, it's dropped a bit since last week, I think. Oh, okay. Let me see. It's uh, 18.72% per annum. I think it was 19% last week versus the uh, STW, which is running at about 8% per annum over the same time period. For the financial year, uh, though, the STW is up 20.98% versus 8.8% for the dummy portfolio. So, you know, we had a good week. Uh, we're up versus where we were last week, but um, still trying to catch up to the STW. In the last 30 days, the number one stock has been CLX, up 21.5% in the last 30 days. SMR up another 14.7% in the last 30 days. NCK, Nick Scarly, up 10.5%. They're the top performers in the last 30 days. CLX, I don't even remember who that is. Who are CLX and what do they do? Do you remember? Logistics company. Is it, I think it's CLI oh. Logistics. Yeah, that sounds right. I wonder why their share price is doing so well lately. People buying lots of stuff and got to move it around. Anyway, who knows? I know Nick Scarly is is um, probably riding the boom of price inflation, which is something we talked about last week. I think Super Cheap Auto came out, then JB Hi-Fi came out, both during confession season saying, hey, our results are going to be better than what people think. And that sort of washed through a lot of other retail stocks as well, including Maya, which I just wanted to touch on briefly. So Maya is up at, well, last time I looked, it was like 81 cents, so a long a long way above when we last held it, I think, which was around 55 cents, um, but having a good run. And uh, I did pick up an article in the Fin Review last week saying that the fund managers are starting to take notice of Maya because of the share price increase and are expecting either Solly Lou to buy some more or perhaps even to be some corporate activity in them. I seem to recall when I owned Meyer, it went up gangbusters and then it came down gangbusters. And uh, I don't think I, I may have broken even or got out a little bit ahead, but it was up like, I don't know, 70, 80% at one point last year. That may be the issue with Meyer if people are buying it because they expect 
someone to lob a takeover offer, then if that doesn't happen, the price will drop again. And the other thing that we should mention about with all these retailers is that their sales are up, but a lot of that's due to price inflation. So sales are up because they're they're buying stuff at a higher price and then passing on that price rise to customers. So they might be selling as much in terms of unit volume, but they're just getting a better price for it. So if inflation gets tamed, then that, that will start to reverse itself, which might hurt the retailers going forward. It's currently trading at uh, 89.5 cents, Maya, up from 85 cents at close yesterday. I saw some of the guys on the Melbourne chat group all excited about Maya this morning. I think what happened to it last year from memory is Jeff Wilson dumped a big parcel. And uh, I'll never forgive him for that because uh, he ruined my he ruined my party. You get invited into the Melbourne chat room, do you? I did get invited, and um, <laughs> it's crazy. They send like five hundred messages a day in there. I think these guys have got nothing else to do but uh, talk about <laughs> investing all day. It's it's drinking from a, a water hose, a fire hydrant. Uh, yeah, that's the one I meant. Before we move on from um, our portfolio updates, I wanted to just point out that we haven't had any trades. We haven't done any trades in the dummy portfolio for over two months. Wow. The 21st of November was the last time I traded anything in the dummy portfolio. So it kind of seems like it's back to normal, normal. I know that you say even downturns and choppiness are normal, but you know, I remember the first couple of years we were doing this, very rarely had to trade anything in the dummy portfolio. Then, of course, in the last year, it was really, really choppy. We were trading things all the time and a lot of rule ones and a lot of, you know, for people that got started at the beginning of last year, that's probably that was their introduction. But yeah, with the dummy portfolio and, and also with the light portfolios too, I haven't really had to sell... I've had to sell a couple of things, to be honest, but we hold about 80 stocks in the uh, light portfolios now, so there's a there's a bigger spread of things to worry about. But um, very, very little trading going on in our portfolios at the moment, which is kind of normal, right? That's probably why Alex Hay hasn't rung me up and asked me out to lunch recently, because I haven't been trading very much either. <laughs> same, same deal. <laughs> I mean, we kind of forecast this because when interest rates started to rise, it I said, look, it's going to, the market's going to be unsteady for a while until it gets comfortable with this. People are going to reposition their stocks to take that, all this movement in interest rates into account. And now it's, people are starting to think we're nearing the end of the interest rate rising cycle, whether we are or not, who knows? And they're getting comfortable with it. But the, I noticed the VIX is down, which is the volatility index that's uh, traded on the Chicago board, I think. That's also measuring volatility in the stock market, which is down. So, yeah, it makes sense that we're not trading very much. Right. Let's talk about fees. So on the show last week, you asked people to give us some feedback on how their fee situation has changed, the fees that they used to pay to financial advisors since they started with QAV. And we got a couple of emails that were quite interesting. Michael said, I was paying a flat fee of $4,000 a year after negotiating it down from a higher fee for financial advice, now paying a QAV and stock doctor subscription, so a significant saving on fees. So that's good. He probably cut his fees by a third to a half, I imagine, uh, depending on which of our plans he's on and stock doctor plans. Dennis also sent us an email, said ongoing cost of a financial advisor was about $350 per month averaged over the year, but that's after the huge cost of the statement of advice, which I overpaid for apparently. 
Anywho, we've had a high turnover of stocks these last few months, so I'm unlikely to churn 15 stocks every three months for the rest of the year, right? <laughs> right. So we'll definitely end up ahead on a few counts, not paying a useless financial advisor and not paying the high fees for the funds that also underperform the market. Winning. I snagged <laughs> a Christmas special on Stock Doctor, so get four months free. So that plus the QAV sub, and I'm ahead about three grand. The financial advisor was an additional 1.3% on a $300,000 balance is about 4K, was as high as a $400,000 balance, so more expensive then. So please tell TK it's totally worth the effort to DIY with QAV. So that's good. Good feedback. Yeah, thank you for that for those two listeners. That last listener also included his latest statement, or it might be the latest annual statement, and uh, he didn't mention it in the email, but he totaled over $20,000 worth of fees and costs on his portfolio during the year, including well, it breaks it down into $15,000 odd dollars direct, deducted directly from his account and then $5,500 deducted uh, from his investments. Biggest one out of all of that was thirteen, nearly $14,000 for member advice fees, but there's also an administration fee of $1,300, an operational risk financial requirement cost of $60, bucks, transaction cost of $37, et cetera, et cetera. But then also too, fees and costs deducted from his investments. And it looks like he was advised to invest in a number of ETFs, which are all taking sort of 500 to 1,000 out. One of them's taking 3,500 out, which I imagine are the um, trailing commissions back to his financial advisor. I'm not sure because it's not mentioned on the statement I'm looking at. But that's a, I mean, that's a heck of a lot of dollars coming out for basically getting advice to put your save or your investments into one, two, three, four ETFs. I mean, that's, to me, that's just crazy. So thanks for sharing that. One of the reasons for asking for these examples is just to point out that I'm hoping people know that since we've been going for three or four years, DIY is not that hard. It does require a little bit of time, but it's not that hard. And even if you're doing it just to invest in index funds, you're potentially saving up to $20,000 a year by doing it yourself. So Thanks for the feedback. It's really worth focusing on fees going forward. No, it's something I hadn't really given a lot of thought to in terms of, I don't know, the positioning of QAV and DIY. So that was a real education for me in particular. Do you um, know this guy, David Hain, uh, Haynes, uh, Tony, old golf buddy of yours, I imagine? don't know him personally, but I've certainly followed his career. I was going to mention him myself in After Hours because he passed away on the weekend. But personally, out of all the people on the rich list, David Haynes was always someone I followed because, you know, similar sort of career, similar in some ways, not in other ways. He, he made a start for himself in, in turnaround situations, but then eventually went off and set up uh, Portland House as an investment firm and, and managed his own funds through that and handed over to his kids. Along the way, also was a horse breeder and a very famous one. He owned Kingston Town, which is probably after Farlap, the most successful racehorse until I guess recently with Black Caviar and Winks, but um, a very successful racehorse and, and sire of many successful horses, uh, including Kingston Rural, which he owned and won the Melbourne Cup with. So yeah, I've always felt quite inspired by David Haynes. He's always been regarded as a nice guy. I didn't know him, never met him. But uh, yeah, I, I did enjoy 
reading any article I could about him. Pretty sure they had a chapter on him in some of the books like Masters of the Market that had been put out uh, many years ago. And yeah, for me, like having no one to talk to about investing, to see that someone else out there had done it was always very motivating for me. Well, I'd never heard of him before or Portland House, but I read uh, Chanticleer's obit for him, I guess, in the Financial Review this morning. And uh, it's entitled Five Lessons from David Haynes' Rich Life. The late David Haynes' incredible seven-decade career is a testament to curiosity, humility, and most of all, class. And he talks about Haynes's office, Portland House, built in 1872 and purchased by Haynes in 1963. The stately Victorian terrace stood in stark contrast to the office towers, hotels, and luxury retailers that dominate the so-called Paris end of Collins Street. Once inside, the feeling that you'd step back in time only grew stronger. After making their way up a few creaking flights of stairs past a stunning Howard Arkley painting on the ground floor, visitors would eventually be shown into Haynes' personal office. Portland House Group might have been home to one of Australia's oldest and most sophisticated hedge funds, but Haynes' personal sanctuary seemed to have been untouched for decades. Gleaming wood panelling, leather-covered chairs, an antique mahogany desk, and certainly nothing as crass as a computer or laptop. The inhabitant of the office was a throwback to another era too. Haynes, who has died at the age of 92, was a gentleman in every sense of the word, unfailingly courteous and eternally understated for a man who built a $2.9 billion fortune. And um, he talks about the bits that just sort of reminded me of you reading through this. He said, even two years ago, I spoke to Haynes for the Australian Financial Review's Platinum Year celebrations about his first international trip back in 1958, and he happily admitted some parts of the market were beyond him. I don't understand things like Bitcoin and stock prices <laughs> based on sales growth, he said. I just don't know where it leads, but I don't think anyone else does either. <laughs> what else? Yeah, yeah, they talked about golf and horses, and uh, that obviously made me think of you. So uh, the final lesson from Haynes is one he learned from a seven-year stint learning the game of golf from legendary coach Norman Von Nieder, who also got Haynes into breeding champion racehorses. Talking to the Financial Review in 2009, Haynes said Von Nieder had shown him that class matters in sports as it enables participants to overcome problems and still win. Haynes would come to think about people and business in the same way, he said. A business has to have class to be really successful so does an investor, and David Haynes had it in spades. As you do, Tony. You're very classy, very classy man. Thanks, Cam. We are just talking about not liking to wear suits and things like that before we started recording. So. That's classy. You don't have to dress up to be classy. Yeah, right. I wouldn't hold a candle to David Haynes, but uh, certainly has been very motivational and inspirational to see him out there doing what he's done, for sure. And there were some other lessons I, I noticed in that article, which were worth talking about. He shied away from taking on debt and the, the quality side of things, you're right. He um, used that in horse breeding as well as in the share market. And that's one of the things that we look at, quality in our investing, quality at, at value. So yeah, a lot to learn from him and his, and his family, his sons and his, I think his daughter runs the horse breeding operations now and his sons do the uh, hedge fund stuff. So uh, valet David and and. Thanks for sharing your life with us, I guess, in print. Indeed. All right. I want to just um, recount a Facebook thread that happened during the week that I thought was terrific. 
Kurt asked a question. Uh, I was hoping to find out from the QAV community whether you predominantly have utilized the QA me- QAV method for investing or whether there have been other financial strategies mentioned on the show that you found helpful. I would be keen to hear as I have an appointment with my financial advisor soon and would like to float a few of these strategies. Yeah, I hope you listened to the earlier conversation about fees, Kurt. Take that into account. Uh, Gary said, uh, hi, Kurt. I have three separate portfolios, one joint with my wife, non-QAV, all LIC, as that's what she is most comfortable with. My SMSF has a 30-70 LIC to QAV blend. The QAV side is only down due to market timing and a few mistakes along the way, but in the last two weeks has gained back nearly 75% of the losses. My other portfolio is 100% QAV and sitting around 20% per annum after three years. This is the only portfolio that I add money to. I'm looking into adding additional to SMSF for taxation taxation reasons, though. So well done, Gary. 20% per annum after three years. Right on the right on the money there. Ed also replied. He said, I was introduced to QAV via James S. just on two years back. Prior to this, I was just doing bog standard index investing in both my SMSF and in a company structure. I trialed an amount of money for 12 months, 170000 while still running the indexes. Made a few mistakes with ADTs, buying Josephines, thanks to good old FOMO and impatience. During this time, I went back and listened to every episode, something I appreciate not everyone can do, nor do you really need to know as so much of it has been refined. Buy list every Monday, the bread later, Sir Andrew Flitman's sheet. He should be knighted along with TK and Cam, <laughs> commodity status, etc. Uh, TK and Cam, for the record, Ed, whilst we appreciate the gesture, strongly reject the concept of royalty and would not accept a knighthood. Andrew Flitman, on the other hand, yeah, <laughs> comes from the old country, so he'd probably, I don't know, I'll let Andrew respond to that. He might be up for it. I personally would do a John Lennon and just tell him to stick it up their ass, but that's Yeah, me. a knighthood, yes, maybe in order of Australia. As someone once said, OAM, ordinary Australian male. Yeah, okay, that's good. By listening to all the shows, I've learned a shed load and think the Bible they've written gives you the baby without the delivery. I still don't know really what that means, but anyway. Now that I've learned so much and I'm understanding it more, I decided back on the 1st of July 22 to roll all of my cash in and simply stick with the system and not deviate from it. It's working well, so now no need to do the index investing when running twice market. So I wanted to thank uh, Kurt for asking the question, valid question, and um, Gary and Ed particular for their replies. There may have been others that I haven't seen since then, but uh, congratulations to Gary and Ed for uh, working the system. And obviously it's doing well for them. And thanks for sharing. We always appreciate it when, you know, I think that's the proof is in the pudding. For me, it's one thing for you to claim your returns and people rightfully, it can be skeptical of those. But um, when I see the dummy portfolio running at 18, 90% per annum after three and a bit years and I've been doing most of the dummy portfolio buying and selling for the last couple of years. And I see these guys getting the same sort of returns, uh, doing it themselves. That's the proof is in the pudding for me. It's like the system works. If you work the system, it just uh, works. Again, feel sad for the people that started at the beginning of last year, just before the market downturn is obviously, obviously a rough year. But if they stick with it, and stay disciplined, I have zero doubt that they will be able to claim the same sorts of returns uh, a few years from now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I guess in my humble opinion, it has to work, right? Because 
We take a share market, which if you do nothing and buy an index fund, gets sort of 9 or 10% per annum. And then you back out all the risky stuff, all the bad stuff. It's got to beat the index. And I guess that just with my experience of being able to hone things over many years and then assign values to them, et cetera, it's been refined. But but yeah, I mean, just staying away from Bitcoin, just staying away from tech stocks with high PE values, all that kind of stuff, uh, staying away from things which are patently overvalued. They might be quality stocks like your CSLs, but to me, they're very highly valued stocks. Um, yeah, it makes sense to me that you'll get better than index. And uh, if you refine it a bit, you'll get double market. That's just, to me, that's almost like common sense. But anyway, <laughs> and now it's happened for these guys. So thanks for sharing. The other point I wanted to point out was that I think both of these guys um, didn't just jump in boots and all. They tested it for a while. And I think that's quite um, a smart thing to do. Get used to it, making mistakes with a smaller amount of money. And then when you get comfortable with it, jump in if you decide it's for you. Yeah. And it won't be for everybody because not everybody has the right kind of temperament, which we talked about early on. Something that Buffett says, right? It takes a certain kind of temperament to do this style of investing. Yeah. Because as, as we said last week, it's boring. <laughs> Getting rich slowly is boring. It's good fun, but it's boring. <laughs> <laughs> it's boring, but it also takes a certain temperament to be able to ignore what your cabbie tells you and what your hairdresser tells you and your, your friend who knows a guy who knows a guy who made a lot of money out of a tech stock or Bitcoin and all of the hype and there's not so much of it around at the moment because all of those things crashed last year and didn't really recover. But I know in the first couple of years we were doing this, all of the hype around Bitcoin. I spoke to Torsten, our friend Torsten Hoffman the other day. Yeah, Torsten is uh, was producer of our film, Marketing Messiah, one of the producers, the executive producer on it. And he's made two films about Bitcoin and crypto. And he knows everybody in, in Bitcoin and crypto circles around the world. He's currently making a new film, which sounds really interesting. It's on space. He's interviewed Neil deGrasse Tyson, and it's all about all, he said, like, everyone thinks the space stuff is Branson and Musk and Bezos. He said, but there's like a thousand companies doing really cool stuff that no one's heard of. And so he's sort of focusing mostly on them. But I said to him, yeah, he said, he's been bugging me for as long as I've known him. Oh, you got to get into Bitcoin, blah, 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 Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. You're not a real investor if you're not putting at least 50% of your <laughs> investments into Bitcoin. But I said, how's your Bitcoin portfolio doing? Man, he goes, yeah, it's not too bad. He said, like, I got in seriously in 2019. And so we had a look at it. And it's basically doubled since 2019, uh, oh, if, right. where it is now. Yeah, that's all right. Three and a half years. If you got in in 2019, if you got in in 2020, it's down 60% from probably where you bought in. But I pointed out to him that Rule of 72 says that a QAV portfolio doubles every three and a half years too, without the risk of Bitcoin, without losing sleep and having to be lucky about how you timed it and all that kind of stuff. So same returns as Bitcoin over the same time frame without all of the bullshit, right? So, <laughs> Good point. Of course, if you bought in at 2019 and sold at the peak, if you had the, the, the balls to do that yeah, <laughs> or the luck to get in and out, they did very well. But how many people uh, did that? Probably not many. Mm. That foam is still there. I had someone run into me a month or so ago and asked me, whether I, he should be buying lithium stocks. So it's that 
there's always that kind of foam in the market somewhere. Yeah. But people are always looking to get rich quick. I mean, that's just human nature, right? Yep. That's everything I've got a pulled pork on SEQ to do. So this was a request from one of the listeners and they asked the question, can we do a pulled pork on Sequoia Financial Group because their share price dropped 10% uh, yesterday or the day before? Uh, so I said, sure. For those who aren't familiar with the stock, it's, it's on the buy list. It's right down the very bottom. It's uh, right on the border of our cutoff of a QAV score of 0.1, but uh, I'll run through it. So this company is basically a, quite a broad-ranging wealth management company. So uh, it does the sort of wealth management we were talking about before with all the fees that go with it, I guess. Uh, I'm not familiar with the, the company enough to know what fees it charges, but uh, it's, it's a wealth advisor um, helping you structure your investments. It does all, uh, a lot of Self-managed super fund administration provides technology to accountants to do that. It's gotten into a few stock market newsletter type businesses and market data provision businesses. So I better speak well of them because they may well come along and knock on our door and make us an offer one day, Cam, to uh, to buy us out. So they they do that. They uh, bought a, a legal advice company called Top Doc, which I think may have been the one that we spoke to about obtaining a. AFSL license at some stage. But anyway, uh, they provide corporate advisory, especially in the small cap sector. They will raise money for small to medium-sized companies. They do specific investments and specialized investments, particularly in the alternative class. So if you're running an SMSF and you want to have access to things that aren't listed on the stock market but might interest you, they can arrange that for you. They do insurance brokerage, they have a stockbroking section called Morrison Securities, financial planning, et cetera, et cetera. So very wide-ranging company. However, it's not a big company. Market cap is $74 million and average daily trade is 55000 So not for everyone, but um, certainly big enough for some people. Why did the price drop 10% recently? Well, they put out a, an ASX release during confession season. It went out on the 23rd advising that uh, their profit would be below what they had budgeted for. And I guess, therefore, what uh, people who were following the company may have uh, figured into their, their spreadsheets and planning in planning for uh, or discounted cash flow evaluations in planning for what they wanted to pay for the company. In detail, it looks like they'll be 40% below budget in terms of profit. Reasons being that a number of their units have underperformed, so they are having business integration issues with some companies that they acquired. It's going slower than expected. Some of their direct investments have underperformed, which has been a fairly common thing in the last six to 12 months for, for fund managers. They're waiting for a claim with their personal, uh, their PI insurer, so their professional indemnity insurer, which is taking longer than expected to pay out. So number of things which they claim are happening slower than uh, they thought, which you know they claim won't have long-term impacts on the company. And I, I would tend to believe them with that. But it's it's kind of also par for the course when they've got so, so many different operating units that some may underperform. To get into all that, uh, so if we accept the fact that they'll be under budget this year, under forecast this year, but their short-term issues, then we can still focus on their numbers and look to the future with them. People should bear in mind that we're doing this 
podcast on uh, January 24, and we're only a week away from reporting season, so these numbers will be updated fairly soon. I'm doing my analysis on a share price of 61 cents, and that was on the weekend um, when I think, uh, well, when the last download that Alex did was provided, but uh, the share price now is 55, so it has gone down from there, which will improve some of these metrics, but um, I'm using 61 in my numbers. There's no consensus target, so we can't compare 61 cents against uh, anybody else's valuation for the company. However, Stock Doctor rank it strong and steady with financial health, so that's good. Interesting one, the price to operate in cash flow this, for this company is 7.82 times, so it doesn't score for us on that metric. So it's starting to get away from us in terms of valuation, but that may actually that will come back if the price is dropping. So that will improve their score. So uh, we're, we're not getting a score for that. Metric IV1 is uh, only $0.22, cents, so the share price is above that, so it's not scoring there. We don't have IV2 because there's no consensus uh, estimates on future earnings, so I can't score it on that. Does This company does pay a dividend, but the yield is only 2.3%, which is low, so we don't score it for that. And again, that, that yield is... Um, going to improve as the share price drops. However, it's kind of small. And, you know, I'd question why they bother paying a 2% yield. I suspect, given that there are some um, con- there's some concentrated share ownership on the register, I suspect it's a way for them to get money out. And they have to, if they pay themselves a dividend, they have to pay it to everyone. So 2.3% is the yield, but low. Debt equity per share for this company is 36 cents, which is below the share price. And book plus 30%, 47 cents, which is still below the share price, even at 55 cents. So um, it doesn't score on book value measures. Uh, directors hold 12%, which is good. So we score it for an owner founder. Uh, in terms of the manual uh, manually entered data, it does have the lowest PE of the last uh, six halves. So that gets a score for that. And equity has been consistently increasing. So it gets a score for that. So it scores 82% for quality, which is why it's getting a QAV score of 0.1, which is why it's on the buy list at the bottom. Um, That will improve it as the price drops. But one thing I did want to highlight is this company, we're only able to score it on 11 of the metrics. And this checklist, I think, from memory has 18. So there's a number of things we're not using to score this company. I tend to ignore that, but I just wanted to highlight it, that, uh, highlight it to people that it's not being scored across the full range of uh, items that it could be. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc. Just sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite 
That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But, uh, you know, while he's not, <laughs> we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. That's it. If you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episodes. And if you have any questions, uh, shoot me an email. You'll find that on our website too. All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing. The QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129271. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions. Hold up. 